When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. So to quote uh, Draymond Green, the Golden State Warriors, y'all gonna get this podcast today, CJ. I love the NBA, man. Like I love the NBA too. And, and look at it, uh, full hands up. Like I didn't even watch the game, game three of the NBA finals. So it's not like I'm, I'm not a hardcore fan, but I just, I find this stuff so amusing and seeing the reporter go post game with Draymond, you know, basically asking, is, is he worried that he's giving away state secrets, X's and O's to the Boston Celtics by doing his pod and then seeing Draymond's sort of response on the pod itself. Um, let's face it. You can't, you can't manufacture that stuff. Like it's just, there's so many personalities and, and some of it again, from afar just seems absurd in the best way possible. Um, I, I love, I love the kind of circus around the NBA finals. I, I, I love it. I love the fact that podcasting is seen as a distraction for an NBA player in the NBA finals. This is the peak of the medium here. It's not going to get any better than this when it comes to podcasting. Well, and this is just overthinking it to the nth degree. Like, what do all of us want to do? We want to build an audience. We want to try to educate the fans, entertain the fans, you know, give people something to do with their life. Life is busy and hard for a lot of people. Let's face it, the hour they give us or they give the Draymond Green show or whatever is usually the escape or the time away from, from you know, the, the important stuff. And so, like, to me, again, he, I haven't listened to his show, but I assume he's giving you access to an athlete in the middle of the biggest games of his life that no one else, you can't get anywhere else. You know, the Stanley Cup final is going to start next week. There's going to be no NHL player between games telling you what he's thinking, what he's feeling, what he's seeing in the games. I mean, that's if, if there was, I'd be listening to every episode. So um, I, I actually give him props. I know we're not at stick taps portion of the episode, but. I'll, I'll give Draymond a little stick tap here off the top because I think it's cool what he's doing and uh, all the power to him. I, I, there will be lots of noise around him, but I think he should keep doing it because at the end of the day, we're in the entertainment business and he's pretty damn entertaining. Now I want to, I'm just thinking who in the NHL would do this? Is there, who's the closest person we could think of who would, you know what? Brad Marshall might do this. For sure. I mean, he tweets, you've seen some of his tweets have been pretty hilarious, but like, you know, toe in the line sort of, or get, you know, close to being offside, whether it was about escrow. Remember he was going at Carolina over stuff. I mean, he, he's, he's certainly got opinions and isn't afraid to, to drop them. Uh, I think there's a lot of guys that would do it. I think a guy like Nazem Kadri would do it. You know, I know I talk about Naz a lot, but he, he's kind of just puts himself out there. I don't think he's too worried about what you or I or anybody else thinks about him. But it's still just not part of the culture of the sport. I, I think that, that some of the teams might have an issue, frankly, if a player wanted to do that. Um, you know, whereas obviously in the NBA, that that isn't Draymond's issue is the media and the fans. Some of the fans on Twitter, it's not uh, it's not his team. Do you think how much flack would Brad Marchand get if he decided to do a Draymond Green esque show? You know, while he's sitting out recovering from from surgery because it doesn't he's not going to start next season, and as the Boston Bruins go through a particularly interesting year because on paper right now they are not expected to look any good they they probably won't have Patrice Bergeron they're not going to have Marchand who knows what the future is going to be for for David Pasternak and you know whether whether that could lead to him still signing an extension with the team Bruce Cassidy's not going to be there we know earlier this week he got let go there's a lot of questions around the Boston roots. I didn't mean for Brad Marchand to mention him and then turn that into a transition to the actual topic I wanted to get to, but I'm going to take advantage of this anyway. Sure. Well, let's start with Marchand. I, I think the regular season, if a player wanted to do this, I don't think there'd be any issue. And, and that's whether you're healthy or injured. So that would be fair game. I just think the playoffs, everything gets a little different. Like I heard John Cooper say in the first round that the lightning have sort of have an unofficial 
ban on social media uh, during the playoff time uh, for their players. Now, I've seen a few of their guys post like the, the winning photos on Instagram on their stories, Victor Hedman, Palat, you know, some of the guys I follow are doing that. So, so I have to assume it's not like a hard ban, but I think his point was just don't get too caught up in what anyone's saying about you. Don't, don't engage in that space. And so I just think because of the way teams view and treat the playoffs, you know, a lot of teams over the years have spent, you know, the night before games at home in, in, you know, the hotel to avoid distraction quote unquote. So, you know, I, I do think that it would be frowned upon by, by an NHL team, you know, as for the Bruins, what a, like, there's a lot to, to process there. You know, let's start with Bruce Cassidy. I, I think I'd be hard pressed to think of a situation where a coach had more success and was fired. You know, six out of six years, he coached a team. They made the playoffs, multiple hundred point seasons, 2019. They were one game away from winning the Stanley cup. Even this year, one game, game seven in Carolina, away from getting to round two, they've objectively, by any measure, whether you just go by standings points, uh, things like expected goals against, expected goals for, they've been an, an elite team every year he coached them. And, you know, so that's a, a big decision. And, you know, I suspect Bruce Cassidy will only be unemployed as long as he wants to be. I mean, he's got one year left on his deal. He could sit home and collect $3 million and not work this coming season. But if he, if he wants to get back to work, um, you know, there's going to be a job for him somewhere and, and likely with a good team, you know, with, with a team that, that views him as a difference maker, someone that he could bring in and maybe get them to another level. Um, you know, what it says to me about the Bruins is a couple things. You know, he, he, he was known to be hard on, on certain young players. You know, we know the Jake DeBrusque situation played out semi-publicly in, in terms of him wanting a trade and not seeing eye to eye with the coach. I think this says that they're going to be leaning a lot more on those younger players and when I look at their group, beyond a Charlie McAvoy, who's obviously a stud, uh, already in sort of the Norris Trophy conversations. I know he hasn't got a nomination yet, but he's right there in my mind. You know, Jeremy Swayman's a young goaltender. Beyond those guys, I, I don't know if any of the young players in the organization are going to be difference makers, if they're going to be players that form the core of the next group, you know, beyond Bergeron and Marshawn and even Pasternak. And, and so it looks to me like they're taking a step back. I, I don't think this is going to be a full rebuild. I believe the Bruins will make a real concerted effort to sign David Pasternak this summer, a year out from potential unrestricted free agency for him to a long-term deal to keep him a Bruin that, you know, they've got McAvoy signed long-term, as I mentioned, I think Swayman's a good piece there. I, I see this as more being a little bit of a reset, uh, but it's going to be tough to see them making the playoffs next year. I mean, we don't have all the information right now, so it's, it's not a firm prediction, but it, just looking at the way everything's going, right. You know, really seems like Patrice Bergeron is seriously considering retirement. So you might be walking a five-time Selkie winner out the door, including a guy who just won it this last season, produced something like 0.9 points per game, like still has still has all the tools needed. But, you know, you don't have Marchand potentially for half a season. You know, Matt Grizzlick's out to start the year. McAvoy's out after off-season surgeries. You know, that's just – it's just a lot to make up for. And, you know, it's going to be a tough year in Boston next year, I think. Oh, Absolutely. I, I was seeing uh, two of my colleagues, Craig Custance and Sean Gentilly on the Athletic Hockey Show, discuss the idea that the Bruins could easily just use next year as like, like a one-year tank, like a sneak tank. Like you're not going into like a full-on rebuild or you're losing how many years of being competitive just so you can kind of maximize your competitive window for however long. But considering the draft that's supposed to be up for next year with 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 Connor Bedard and Matthew Mitchkov and some of the other front loaded the way some of the other talent that's available there, that makes the 2021 draft look as more tantalizing. The 2022 23 wow, I'm getting my years mixed up. The 2023 draft as more tantalizing than this year's 2022 draft. That is technically that should be the year for teams to kind of you know tank so they could get themselves some top quality talent. It, it could be a, a fortunate thing for the Boston Bruins in this situation. Well, if, that how it, if that's how it breaks, you, you love to see it. And remember between the 2011 cup and sort of the, the more recent rise of this team, that I think they missed the playoffs twice. Uh, we'll need to fact check that. Cause that's truly off the top of my head. And I haven't looked at it recently, but I think they missed it twice and they drafted Pasternak and McAvoy in that time, if I'm not mistaken, and DeBrusque. Um, they, they, they kind of, they did a little reload on the fly and then came back and lo and behold, you know, those were pretty good players to add to the core that still included at the time, Chara and Krejci and Rask and Bergeron and Marchand. So, you know, there, there's some precedent there for it. 
I don't know if you can line it all up perfectly, but it does, it would make a little more sense the Cassidy thing too, because you know, given how successful he's been, A, you might be a little concerned if you're, you know, that, that the team's too good even under him, even with the guys missing. And and B, that, that he's not going to be happy in that situation, that, that that's not going to be something he wants any part of. Um, and, you know, obviously some of your players that have been around wouldn't want part of that. But, you know, at least you've insulated some of them with, with the surgeries they've had. They're not going to have to endure all the losing um, for the whole season long. And, and if Bergeron doesn't return, he's not back for it. So, you know, I think there's there's some possibility to that. I just, I don't know how coordinated it is. Like, you know, I, I don't think that they like ordered all these guys into surgery necessarily for that reason. It's maybe just them dealing sort of reacting to the unfolding circumstances. The fact that they are going to be missing that many key players to start the year that Bergeron, you know, all year long, I've actually seen, it seemed to me that Bergeron was leaning towards retirement, you know, just the way he treated those questions, um, you know, it always just sort of felt like he he thought this was his last crack at it. And, you know, we'll see if that's actually the case. I think it's one thing to think about retirement. It's another thing to actually come out and say the words and truly be retired. I think, you know, I think it's a difficult thing for an athlete to do, especially one that clearly can still play, uh, which is the situation Patrice is in. Um, but yeah, look, at it, it, it could be the smartest thing they ever did. I just, I don't see them going from, a hundred point team though, to like a 60 point team, even with these losses, I, I just think there's, they'll still be too good, but, you know, adding any player of quality in the top 10, say in the draft would be a benefit to them. And, and as long as they get past your next signed at a reasonable number, I, I don't see them bottoming out ever. Um, and I, and I actually think that's the smart thing to do. Sometimes the teams that bottom out, it takes so long to get out of the bottom. I mean, there's some obvious ones, Buffalo, Edmonton, Toronto, maybe to a lesser degree, they, they kind of bounced back quickly after their last place season. But I mean, a lot of things fell in place for them too. So the 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 the, the down to the studs model, like Arizona is going through that now. Like reasonably, how long will it be till the Coyotes are competitive? I mean, I think they're hoping for two to three years, but it might be five to ten years. Like who who knows? The the, the Buffalo Sabers are in the midst of you know, coming back up in their second iteration of their rebuild. Like they started like what, like a decade ago and they still haven't gotten to the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, some of it's culture too. I think it sounds crazy to say, but you know, what the Bruins have to me is they've passed on this sort of winning tradition about the way they do things. And, and I, I have a lot of respect for it, honestly. I mean, they, they, in a cap league, you know, other than say Pittsburgh, which has made the the playoffs every year since missing Sidney Crosby's rookie season, and then it's 15 or 16 years straight. I think 16 now uh, they've made the playoffs, and a lot of that is due to having Crosby and Malkin and how good those guys have been. And you know, they, they found a way every year to to be competitive. You know, the Bruins are similar ilk, and and you know, they 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 never did do a full rebuild, but they they got as close as you can win can get to winning another cup. You know, in in the second iteration of this this core that started with, with the Chara group and, you know, maybe there'll be a third. That would be, that would be quite something if they can pull that together. I think that's what they're trying to do, honestly. And, you know, there'll also be players in free agency though. Like if Bergeron doesn't come back still an if, you know, there's, I guess the, the biggest question is, will, will he have let them know that by July 13th? Because on July 13th, you know, there's a few sentiment out there like spitballing here, but how would Nazem Kadri look in black and gold? You know, oh, it'd be so annoying. They'd I mean, be imagine like a, him like, and Brad Marchand on the same line. That'd be insane. So, you know, there's there are other center options out there. I'm not saying he replaces Patrice Bergeron. I mean, I think we all recognize Bergeron's in a class of his own as a two-way centerman. But I, I do think it, it helps you bridge the gap. And, you know, they probably have the cap space to do it, you know, if if Bergeron isn't coming back. And, and we'll see what happens some other places. Obviously, they're, they're still talking to David Krejci. So maybe you, you make some improvements up the middle that way. You still have Charlie Coyle there. You know, if you if you were able to run out Kadri, Krejci, Coyle, I still think that's a competitive team. That's example. insane. That, so, that, uh, you know, like, so, like I'm groaning because of how annoying that it would that line would be. Because Nazem Kadri, yes, like people, you know, are behind him with, with everything that happened with him in the St. Louis series, good score, having an amazing postseason. Well, it remains to be seen if he'll come back. But at his core, he is an annoying player to play against. And for him to go on a team which has annoying embedded in their DNA, it just fits. 
<laughs> I know it seems like it fits. And, and look, that, that's truly pie in the sky at this point. I, I don't, it's not, we're, we're a little early to, to say who's going where just yet. I don't think that's lined up by any means, but you know, Kadri is going to have options and, and Boston would make sense to me if they lose Bergeron. So, you know, I don't necessarily see them going right down to the bottom, getting the Connor Bedard sweepstakes, but you know, what we'll probably know more six weeks from now when we're doing our last pods before summer vacay, I think we'll have a, a clear view of the, the immediate future for this team because, you know, they, they will have signed Pasternak or not. If they don't sign him, they're going to have to trade him. And we'll probably have some clarity on the Bergeron situation and we'll see what they did in free agency. And, and that will that will give us a, a huge bit more of this, this picture about what they're planning for next season. A few things. One, uh, Bruins fans listening, uh, me saying annoying being embedded in the DNA not at all an insult. And I'm pretty sure you don't think of that as an insult either. Like that's a compliment to the, uh, that's a testament to what the Boston Bruins are. Uh, I, I double checked uh, the last time I believe the Bruins missed the playoffs, 2015, 2016 season, the second of back-to-back seasons where they missed the playoffs. I was playoffs right. My actually. memory didn't fail me. No, oh, man, CJ, you're, you're, you're a pretty sharp guy. I, I think you should trust your memory a little bit more. You're pretty good at this sort of thing. Well, we don't have like the segment like you see in those ESPN shows where at the end we correct everything I said wrong, because I, I think you could probably do that every show. So that's why I'm trying to be I'm trying <laughs> to be meticulous and careful, but we don't plan where these conversations are going. So it's not like you can look up every stat ahead of time. Some of it is off the off the cuff. Exactly. Also, with David Pasternak, and I know we've mentioned him a couple of times in this segment already. I, I don't know about I feel I get the sense you seem pretty confident that the Bruins are going to be able to, to re-sign him. And I keep thinking of that article from Fluto Shinzawa in, in The Athletic, where he in the lead, I'm not going to read it word for word, but he's describing the fact that the Bruins let Tory Crew go the way that they did. And David Krejci leaving the franchise and David Pasternak seemed, seemed to have been paying attention to those two particular situations. And a source close to, to, to Pasternak told The Athletic, according to Shinzawa's article, 88 Pasternak had seen how Don Sweeney, the Bruins GM, had treated his two best friends. No chance he comes back with Sweeney as GM. I was just curious about what you think of, of, of that particular quote that's floating out there. Well, look, at Pluto is a conscientious, respected reporter, one of the best in the league. So I, I'm, Absolutely. Not, I'm not challenging his source, and I don't have his source. So no one's told me that explicitly. You know, what I look at is I think David Pasternak, someone who loves being a Boston Bruin, um, and yeah, he might not be happy with how things have unfolded, but I just don't see, I don't think that it, it automatic. I don't connect the dot directly and say like, he's not coming back. First of all, if you've been following his social media during the world championships specifically, there's some pretty strong hints being dropped there that maybe Krejci is coming back to the Bruins, uh, which might, you know, ease some of those concerns. And secondly, they're going to have a conversation this summer. Like, I, I think they're going to sit down. Don Sweeney will, will lay out his plan for, for where this, this organization is going, you know, what he sees, where he sees Pasternak fitting. And then they're going to talk terms on what could be an eight-year contract extension and, and worth life-changing money. I'm sure David Pasternak probably already has life-changing money, but even more bigger life-changing money. And he'll have a decision to make then. And it, it will be probably implied, if not stated outright, that if they don't find a way to sign that deal then, that, that he'll have to be traded and he'll have a decision to make. And so, you know, everything in pro sports, there's a lot of different competing emotions and, and energies. Like, like, it's not easy all the time. And, and uncomfortable conversations get forced by the nature of the way the CBAs work and, and just, just how winning is so imperative to everything. I, I don't see this guy as gone. I really, I really don't. I actually think if, if I was setting odds, I think it's more like more than likely that he stays, but we don't know yet. And they don't know yet because they haven't got into negotiations. You know, those conversations still need to happen in July. Um, but I, I just, I see a world, I, I'd be surprised if they, they let him go. That being said, you know, if Don Sweeney really wants to do a, a, a rebuild with a capital R, it's a pretty good piece to start it with. You know, if you're, if you're trading David Pasternak, you're probably getting back a good player and high picks, frankly. I, I don't see it just as a futures trade. Um, so, you know, maybe he ends up exploring that road if he really believes they have to try to finish near the bottom next season. Uh, but, you know, based on his press conference this week, you know, Don Sweeney sort of mentioned shifting to the younger generation, to paraphrase him. But I, I didn't get the sense he was like, let's, 
let's tear this thing down. I mean, again, they, they had a damn good year and weren't that far up beating Carolina. Like I'm not saying, I'm not saying they were going to win the Stanley cup, but they were among the teams that could have won it if they got hot and had the, you know, they had some injuries in the playoffs. I mean, certain things didn't go their way, but if they got through the hurricanes, I mean, who knows, maybe we're still watching them play today. Yeah. And, and Bruce Cassidy still keeps his job, which is still, still mind boggling. I don't know if just like other, I know you mentioned the Jake DeBrusque thing, but I wonder how, if other guys in that locker room were also just not big fans of his, but I also wonder, and, and we did, I know we touched off in terms of, you know, the fact he still has a year left on his deal. I'm very intrigued at which teams might actually want to take a chance at, at getting a Bruce Cassidy. Cause he's, he seems like a pretty good consolation prize. If you don't get Barry Trotz, who's also still available. He, he might be better. I mean, it's hard for me. It's hard for us on the outside to gauge that. But if you look at his results, like they have been elite, 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 and he's got some good players there, but I think that you can point to some things he did even with those players. Like Brad Marchand became elite with Bruce Cassidy as his coach. Now, would that have happened anyway? Maybe when we don't have the, we, we can't go back and, and we don't have like the looking glass here to imagine the alternate universe if there's a different coach there, but you know, he got even Bergeron to a different level, I think. And so um, you know, he, he might be even better than Trotz, uh, certainly is, is in the conversation, you know, Trotz has just been around so long, you know, this Bruce Cassidy waited a long time from way back when you probably wouldn't even remember he was the coach of the Washington Capitals and it didn't go so well and had a long journey to get back to the NHL as a head coach, uh, with the Bruins. But, you know, it, it, it was, it was a pretty magical type of run he had there and man, if they win one more game in 2019, um, what a legacy he would have. I still think it was a pretty darn good legacy though. Uh, small plug to the uh, Jesse Blake sports report uh, in his latest episode, he tries to uh, make the argument that the last five cup winners should all have asterisks next to them. Uh, he tried to make the point that uh, the St. Louis blues because of, I think there was like a missed goal. I think there was like a, like a blown goal call in like game five of that series that the, the blues didn't deserve to win. I wonder how he would have felt if the Bruins won. Another more serious thing with Bruce Cassidy and how elite he's been. Uh, this is from Jay Fresh Hockey from a couple of days ago. Bruins at five on five expected goals against ranking in Bruce Cassidy's tenure. 2017-2018, the Bruins were second. The year after, second place. 2019-2020, first place. Last season, 2020-21, third place. This past year, the Boston Bruins at five on five expected goals against ranking first. Like that's one particular aspect to it. But in that particular aspect, in terms of expected goals against like Bruce Cassidy, his, I think his team is pretty good. That's personnel, but that's also systems. And, you know, when you look back at those two years, the Bruins missed the playoffs. All the guys that we love on our team were still on their team or most of them. Like Bergeron was there. Marchand was there. You know, they they obviously grew as players in that time. They got some better guys around them. You can't ignore that McAvoy joined the blue line has become, you know, pretty beastly back there. But that's systems. That's coaching, I think. And and look, every coach has a shelf life, though. Like, it is, it is the truth. I, I think coaches have to push individuals and a team so hard that you only have so long. Like, you only coach as long as John Cooper's coach the lighting if you win multiple cups. Um. You know, and, and you get some some leeway. I got to tell you, Julian, I have never seen a team. I can't remember if I mentioned this on a previous episode that is like treated the playoffs the way that the Lightning have. Like there have been some days they don't even go to the rink on morning skate. Like that's the level of trust between coach and team and players. Like and you only get that if you've won multiple cups, because otherwise the results would be too disaster. Like the, the, it would just become a side sideshow story. Right. It would it would look like you're being too laissez faire. But I think that's how. You, you have to evolve as a coach. Like he can't be pushing them all the time. Right. And, and I think he's smart enough to know that John Cooper, but you only get that point if you have that much trust in your main guys and you've won so much together and, and, you know, anyway, it, it's, it's a really tough profession um, because you got to push everyone really hard. And at the end of the day, I guess sometimes that, that gets a little tiring to hear. And so now it's going to be someone else's job to, to maybe come in with a bit more love and, and, you know, Again, that to me suggests a step back and a little less focus on winning every game. So I wonder 
not to, I know we spent a lot of time with the Boston Bruins and we will get to sports interaction real quick. I, I'm now curious about who takes over for, for Bruce Cassidy. I wonder if it's an internal thing or if they go out and they seek some coach. I'm, I, I have questions about that. I, I, what I tell you is it's not, the decision isn't made. Like it's not like they did this to get one specific hire. And, and I think they're going to cast a wide net. You know, I, I saw Fluto Shinzawa mentioned Jay Leach is a possibility. I think that's a, a smart pickup by him. You know, he, he coached their team in Providence and their AHL team. He spent last year in Seattle as a defensive coach on Dave Haxtell's staff with the Kraken. Young guy, I think maybe viewed as more of a modern thinker, you know, might be more of a put, put his arms around someone rather than um, challenge them verbally uh, type of coach. So, so, you know, he's a name to watch, but look, right now, how do we even gauge the coaching? Like, Technically, because Edmonton hasn't filled the job, although we you know, have no reason to believe that Jay Woodcroft won't be back. There's like nine head coach openings at this moment we're recording. Like, I can never remember this happening. There's so many possibilities out there. A lot of established names. You know, it sounds to me like John Tortorella likely to end up in Philadelphia. But, you know, there's there's you got Barry Trotz out there. You got Pete DeBoer out there for jobs. I mean, there's just a lot of coaches that have done a lot of winning in the league, obviously Bruce Cassidy to choose from. And then, you know, there are up and coming AHL type of coaches or someone like Jay Leach who hasn't had that, that chance, you know, as a head coach on an NHL bench yet, um, you know, played a little bit for the Bruins, had a, had a brief planker in the NHL, but, you know, keep an eye on someone like that. Cause you know, Fluto is pretty plugged in, as I mentioned. And um, you know, it would make some sense. I think that they go to someone younger, maybe a less obvious candidate, to, to try to form the next great group of Bruins teams. We have a lot we need to get to. Hold some of those thoughts. Uh, we'll get to them on the other side of uh, our little hangout with David Bastel from Sports Interaction. As always, it's a 19-plus thing. We ask that you play responsibly, and there will be a, re- a link to responsible gaming strategies in the description of this show. The Edmonton Oilers are where I want to go next, CJ. They had their postmortem on Wednesday, and then Ken Holland spoke to the media. And he talked about a lot of different things. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl playing on a high ankle sprain for the majority of the postseason, which I think is really incredible. Like the fact that we were able to see him go off the way that he did in this postseason, even in that elimination game, that could have easily been the Leon Dreisaitl game in game four if it weren't for Arturi Lekkinen. Uh, but that, uh, the future of Evander Kane, uh, yes, he pulled RV is being talked about as well, Jay Woodcroft. Um, what would you say is the biggest takeaway from that press conference with Ken Holland? Oh, I mean, the goaltending question is probably the biggest in terms of their team, I think, moving into next season. And Ken was pretty open about the fact that he's not sure what they have back there, that he doesn't yet know what Mike Smith might have to give them. He's still under contract next season. Miko Kostic headed for free agency. They have Stuart Skinner, a young goaltender they like, but he's not proven yet at the NHL level. It's pretty clear to me they're going to be in the free agent market. Again, this will be the third straight summer. Edmonton's gone trying to upgrade there. They, they, they struck out the last two years for a variety of reasons. And, you know, it's a pretty shallow pool of goalies, um, you know, that are available at least as pure free agents July 13th. And so if they're not signing, say, someone like Jack Campbell maybe or Billy Huso, you know, the only other way to perhaps upgrade at that position is, is by a trade. And so, you know, I think that's a big question heading into the Oilers off season, you know, as for takeaways, you know, I, I don't know that Jesse Pugliarvi is back with his team next year. And, you know, the way Ken Holland answered that question was, was pretty clear that he's still got to determine basically what fit or what role that player has with his team. And, and, you know, it's kind of ominously mentioning, you know, I'm going to talk to his agent next week. And so, I think they've got to a point maybe where Jesse Pugliarvi is, I think he's unfairly maligned in the marketplace there for whatever reason. Look, there's a long history, right? He was drafted in 2016. You know, he played briefly, went back to Finland, came back. Like, like it's, it's, there's a lot of sort of water under the bridge. And I think sometimes those things compound in terms of how the player is viewed. But if you look objectively at his numbers, he's, he's a, a high-end play driver. He's a great forechecker his finishing ability is just not where you want to see it. I think he had five goals in the last 60 games, give or take this season an 8.8% shooting percentage. You know, I think another team's going to look at a 24 year old with those underlying numbers and see value. 
because he's not going to be viewed any longer as a third overall pick or, you know, someone wouldn't be acquiring him to, to probably even play on their top line. I think it's more a middle six type of role for Jesse Pugliarvi, but a fresh start might be best for him. And so I, I think that, that that was one of the big takeaways is that it's it's pretty clear the Oilers front office is thinking that way as they enter this offseason. But, you know, they've got a lot on their plate. They don't have a ton of cap space. They're, they're going to make a hard pitch to, to resign Evander Kane. I think that was a great fit for both sides. I would expect they're bringing Jay Woodcraft back as a full-time head coach after, you know, half a season as their interim. And, you know, they're going to run it back and they got to figure out the goaltending a little bit in terms of trying to be in a better position to, to win a few more games and, and lift the Stanley Cup next year. I'm wondering, with the Oilers as they are right now, and it's obviously hard to tell, but I guess I just didn't expect them off this run to be able to get to the conference final. So now that they've shown that they're able to do it, everything should be this offseason about putting together a team that can go back to it. Like I, that's, that's how next season at least should be framed in my eyes. It's fair, but you know, they're, they're pretty handcuffed, honestly. I mean, they, they, they got a lot of salary commitments in there. Obviously to sign a Vander Kane, he's going to get a raise on what he was, you know, he's a $2 million cap hit plus a little bit over 2 million this season. He is not going to be a $2 million cap hit next season. Um, you know, even losing Koskinen's contract, you know, you're going to have to spend some money at the goaltending position, right? It's not just as easy as, you know, that, that's that's a challenge. All these teams, like I look at the, the Maple Leafs, the Flyers, like there's a lot of teams that are going to, I think Washington will be looking for a goalie. Um, you know, all these teams, there's only so much money to go around and, and the best players are going to command it. So, um, you know, I think they're they're pretty locked in in a lot of. I don't I don't see anything grand that that Edmonton can do. Um, that being said, if McDavid and Drysdale are as good as they are, as long as they can facilitate, get a couple wingers to play with those guys, you, you always got a chance. I, I I just think that they really got to answer the goaltending question. You know, I'm not I'm not hanging their series loss on Mike Smith, but you know he's he's going to be 41 next year, and and. You know, he mentioned just physically how difficult this season was. He was injured for the first half of the year, most of it. Um, I, I just don't know that you can count on him to give you anything reliable. And, and Stuart Skinner might be the answer, but you can't go into the year with him having to be the answer. And so he, to me, there's got to be another player brought into that mix that, that gives you some confidence, some stability. And, and so that, that is a, a big hole to fill. You know, the Oilers are one of the teams trace, chasing Andre, Kuz, Andre Kuzmenko. Uh, who's who's in the process of working through interviews right now, coming over from the KHL, you know, they can offer him a chance to play with Dreisaitl or McDavid. And, and, you know, that's, that's pretty appealing. So I would think just given that they have an opening to slot him in that, that basically no team in the league can match. Um, you know, I would think that they've got a reasonable shot of signing him out of the KHL. So maybe that, that helps them. Um, I think their blue line will, will more or less be intact. Uh, so, you know, they're going to try to keep Brett Kulak. He was a good addition from, from Montreal. I, I think Montreal is going to try to bring Kulak back and Edmonton's going to try to keep Kulak. And, and so that's, that's ultimately probably where his decision lies in free agency. So I, I just don't see a dramatically different Oilers team, but you know, the one area that they can feel a little bit more comfortable perhaps come training camp is if they can, you know, get a goaltender that, that gives them a little bit of confidence um, that, that maybe he's a 50 to 60 start kind of guy rather than just patching it together, which is what they did last season. Yeah, the Mike Smith thing, such an interesting story to follow throughout the play, through the end of this this past year to now, where he was as hot as he was entering the playoffs, and he had those moments where he would just look spectacular, and then another moment where he's literally giving the puck up from behind the net, leading to a goal against. And you're absolutely right. He was not the reason why the Oilers lost that conference final series. Yes, he had some moments, but he was not the absolute reason. There are other people. I mean, Darnell Nurse playing hurt. He did not have a great conference final. That's one player who comes to mind in terms of guys, I guess you can kind of blame for how that series went. But even then for the Oilers, they got some scoring help. I mean, Connor and and Leon, obviously, they did their thing. But Zach Hyman stepping up, Evander Kane stepping up up until that that boneheaded hit on Nazem Kadri, like they got contributions. They just ran up against the Colorado Avalanche team that was just that was just more superior. Than yeah, them. I don't think blame is should be our approach here. Like they got beat by the better team, and look exactly Colorado's twelve and two in these playoffs. So you know they, they've 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 landed a few beatdowns on Nashville and even St. Louis. I know it was a tighter series, but you know it, that's. It, 
it's just a great team with depth at all positions performing at a high level. So, you know, I, I don't know there's any shame in that. And I don't want to be too hard on Mike Smith either. Like to play in the NHL at mm-hmm. age 40 is a serious accomplishment. And, you know, he did give them some great goaltending and stretches of the season. He was 930 in that series with LA. And that was a tight series. Like Edmonton loses in round one. It's a totally different offseason. And, and he was a big reason why they managed to, to come back from three, two down in that series and win. And so, you know, I, I know that, yeah, he didn't carry them to a Stanley cup final, but you know, I think he, he battled through his injuries and, and he performed pretty well. I just, I think organizationally, you can't go into a season expecting that from him again. You know, he, I, he said it himself, like he didn't, he, he sounded like he had serious doubts about what he's got left in the tank. And you know, I think that's credit to him. That's just honesty, but you know, they, they need to find a goalie. And I, I don't know who that guy is, honestly, like, you know, it, it's, it's not, it's not, there's not a lot of sure things out there. I mean, even Billy Huso had such a great year, and St. Louis, like it's a pretty small NHL track record. And, and you know, he's going to have multiple teams bidding on him. But, um, you know, maybe Darcy Kemper hits free agency. You know, that's someone Edmonton looked at trading for last year when Arizona ended up making the deal to Colorado. I, I don't know if he'll stick around the avalanche. Maybe he's an answer. But, um, you know, I, to me, that's that's the question you got to – that Ken Holland really has to figure out. And then you just got to try to get some version of Kane. You, you know, you need a few guys to play with, with the top-end players that can produce. and and. Um, you know, and, and hope that next year that, that they find a way through. Last order of this question for you. Where do you have Leon Dreisaitl ranked among the league's best players? It's a tough one. I mean, let's face it. In that, we'll just start with McDavid at number one, I think is unanimous. Yes. And then in competition for the next few spots, you have some version of, McKinnon, Matthews, Dreisaitl, Makar, probably. Um, yes. You know, like that's probably most people's top five in some order. I mean, maybe you want to get cute and put a goalie like Vasilevsky in there. And, I, and I'm willing to hear that argument because I think he's good enough to warrant that. And, and you know, potentially chasing his third cup this spring. So I don't, I don't put Dreisaitl – It's so hard because I, in the moment, like in these playoffs, he's like number two, right? If we're just reacting to what we've just seen, like he, he's probably been more impactful even than McKinnon was, you know, Matthews was out in round one. I know he he played well in that first round series, but you know, it's tempting to put him at number two. I just, I don't know that he belongs there. You know, if, if you're not a prisoner of the moment, if you step back and look at the last few seasons, you know, I've still got Matthews in the number two spot myself. Goal scoring is the hardest thing to do in the league. He does it better than anyone. He does it at even strength. He does it by not hitting empty nets and stuff. Like I'm just saying, if you look at objectively the, the way he produces offense and, and you know, he, he doesn't play with McDavid the way Dreisaitl does for, for big stretches of time, depending on what the look is that day. So uh, it's not a knock the ones, right? Like we always get in these conversations and it's like somehow it would be disrespectful to say he's maybe the third or fourth best player in the, in the league. Um we should do that. We should do a ranking show before next season, maybe. Oh, really? You're down for that? Do that? I'm down. We should, I don't know how many players would be reasonable. We should do like our top 25 or something, or top 50. I don't, I don't know how many we, we could actually squeeze in or how interesting it would look. But I think that would be a good thing to do, not in the moment when games are being played, like to step back and really look at it. But I, I've probably got them around four or five. You know, I might have McCarr higher now. Like, Cal McCarr, like he's – he's been great for a long time. And I know we've hyped him up on this podcast. He scored that goal in Chicago this year. Like we've given him his due and his love, but I think doing it in the playoffs and doing it now, he's going to be in the Stanley cup final. Like it's going to take his stardom to another level in terms of the way he's viewed. And, you know, he's probably the the favorite to win the Conn Smythe trophy right now. I would have to think. Oh, absolutely. So we we can agree that Leon Dreisaitl is a top five player in the national hockey league. I, 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 I view that. And I think that's what you're getting at. Yes, but not number two or three for me. Okay. Uh, I like your idea of a player ranking and doing it in the offseason when we're not trying to make sense of them as games are going on. I, I, I love that idea, and I think we should kind of put that in our back pockets as offseason content. That's something we should think about. Maybe not during the episode uh, where we just, you know, just – 
talk about it, how our summers are going, but like maybe as like a like a preseason into next year or before next season type of deal. Yeah, How's that? I see this as a September project. Okay, we'll we'll think about that for September. Um, do you have any other general thoughts on on the Eastern Conference Final Series right now with the Lightning battling back and you know we're 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 hours away from Game Five now? Just something general. We don't need to spend too much longer on that. I know we spoke about it a bit with David Basto. Like, I actually am of the view, and I was sort of poking fun at this in that segment, but I'm of the view that the that we have seen the real Lightning come to life again. And and you know if you look at the underlying numbers of this series, I mean, they're getting more and more of the expected goals in each successive game. Vasilevsky has been great in games three and four. And I just think the challenge might be too great for the Rangers at this point in time. Now you might be listening to this after game five and it might, this, this might be a horribly cold take by then if, if the Rangers come out and have a, a big win there and, and Tampa's on the ropes, but basically until Tampa loses I still, th- I think they're going to win, if that makes sense. Like, I have to see someone actually knock them out before I believe they're going to go out because I'm still blown away by what we saw in game three on Sunday, the way they're down 2 nothing, and like just how strong the push was. Like that, that's just like a team, they clearly still want to play, man. Like, like you, you get, you, you, you kind of find out what you are in your most dire moments sometimes, right? And we found out, to me, that's a dire moment. Down to nothing in the series, down to nothing in the game. Look, they've had so many long runs. Like if they just went out in this round and they might still, no one is going to say a bad word about the lightning or what they're about, but you know, they still have sort of the fight of a champion to me and man, it would be, a, it'd be a pretty heavy, it's going to be a heavyweight series either way, but a lightning avalanche cup final would be, would be something. And yeah, the way I see it going, quite honestly, is I just think that lightning are going to be too much for the Rangers to, to overcome. But, you know, that being said, New York potentially has two games on home ice still. Different factors can come in. I just need to see a different level maybe of desperation from them. I, I don't know that they've raised their game quite enough for the moment. I don't know if that's inexperience or if they just can't quite get there in this moment in time. You know, we've we've talked a lot about the Rangers the last few weeks. Like, I, it, this is not disrespecting their team by any stretch. I, I we're, we're down to, like, we're in the truth-telling moments, right? This is we're finding out really like the DNA, what, what these teams are about in this moment in time. And, and I think the lightning's experience counts for a lot here. I think they know what it takes. And, and, you know, the fact that Vasilevsky showing up and that they've started to really tilt the ice, I think it bodes well for Tampa to, to get through and to play for another cup. You heard him say it. So now you got to watch game five to see uh, how that takes stands. I, I five, think you'll be five, right. nothing Rangers game five. And I look <laughs> Uh, it's okay. Uh, I think that series is going seven. I think with the way both teams have played in this series so far, I I, I know light, the Lightning have been able to pick it up in the last few games, but I, I don't see the Rangers kind of folding for four games straight. I see them getting at least one more win in this before they force it to seven. Like This has been a really good series so far. We've seen some of the best goaltending of the playoffs so far and, and two of the best to do it right now uh, going at each other. Think about it. The Eastern Conference representative, of this year's playoffs in the Stanley Cup final will automatically go in with the better goaltender over whoever Colorado trots out between Pavel Frensos and Darcy Kemper. That is a huge advantage for Tampa or the New York Rangers going up against the Colorado Avalanche. It's in a matchup that they will sorely need any advantage that they can get. Well, and if it's Tampa, they're also going to be adding Braden Point, it would appear. Now, I don't know what percentage of Braden Point you're going to get if he gets back in the lineup, but everything seems to be trending towards him playing. And that that's... That's a big deal. The way that he competes, even if he isn't at his best, I think he can make a like small difference in small margins of the game for, for the lightning. I mean, Kucherov has been an animal too these last couple of games. Like some of the plays he makes are insane. The pass he made the plot on the winning goal in game three, 40 seconds yeah. was, was just like, he didn't even look at him and it's right on the stick. Um, I, I just, I don't know that the Rangers are good enough right now. That's, that's all. Like it's, it's again, it's, there's no shame in it. Like they've, they're, as we're recording this, they're six wins away from the cup. Like they, they've played longer than 28 other teams this year, 29 actually counting Edmonton. So, you know, they're right there. But I just in the in the in the final analysis, I just I don't I don't know that they can can push the lightning out. Before we get to stick taps, uh, I just want to plug uh, your latest for North Star bets. Uh, I believe you can also read this article in the Toronto Star as well. Seven star pending NHL UFAs. 
with uncertain futures. I, I can imagine you, I'd like to know if you have any gut feelings on, on, on those seven players you mentioned in the article, just to mention just a few before we go into them all. Uh, guys like Evgeny Malkin in there, Patrice Bergeron in there. Uh, I think Johnny Goudreau's in that list, but of course that's a guy whose future, a lot of questions surrounding him. Uh, there, are, there are some interesting pieces uh, who we are not completely sure about their futures and their destinies. Uh, beyond Let's, this offseason. Well, here's the here is the game. There's seven players that have spent their entire NHL career with one team and been at that team for 10 years in the organization. Uh, and, and they're pending UFAs. Let's go through them one by one quickly because I can do it. Let's do it. Off the top of my head. Patrice Bergeron. Uh, Mike, first of all, he's not going to test the open market. He's a, he's a Bruin or he's he's heading into retirement. My gut says he's retiring. Um and so I, I don't think we see him back as a player anywhere, uh, but but certainly not with Boston. Then you have Evgeny Malkin. This is a tough mm-hmm. one. This is a tough one for me. My gut says he's moving on, but I don't say that with a lot of conviction. Um, just He just means so much to the Penguins. Like you, you sort of feel like, okay, obviously they've got to this point where there's five weeks to go till free agency and – you know, he's, he's still at a point of game last year. I know he was injured at it, was recovering from knee surgery for the first half of the season, but um, my gut says that he's moving on. We'll see how that plays out. Chris Letang, moving on. I think that there is the issue with that negotiation is, is really comes down to term. You know, the, the, he's 35, had a great year last year. He played the third or fourth most minutes in, in, by, on a per game basis of any player in the league, you know, produced offensively as he has, right shot defenseman, you know, I could see him getting a four or five year contract on the open market, even though that takes him to 39 or 40. I think that'll be out there for him. I don't get the sense that Pittsburgh wants to go there with him. Uh, who's next? Andre Pilat. I think. Uh, Andre Pilat is next. I think Andre Pilat's leaving too. You know, just not a lot of analysis here that the lightning love him. He's been a huge part of sort of their secondary wave that's driven them to so much success. He's having a massive playoffs. I just don't think they can afford him. You know, that they have, Within the next year, they have to give raises to Anthony Sorelli, Eric Chernak, and Mikhail Sergachev. Those players are all younger than Plot. And you know, I think reasonably this would not be if it goes the way I think it's going to go, it's not like they don't want to keep him. I just don't know that the money can can make sense for him and them to, to have him stick around. Um, Philip Forsberg in Nashville, I think he's staying. I'd I'd be I'd be really surprised if he left. The guy loves it there. They love him. They have sort of their own internal cap. They call it Nashville dollars. Um, to me, he, he's going to make more than the $8 million that they're paying Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne, but a little less than the 9.059 that Roman Yossi gets, their captain. And so to me, the, the range is there. The fit is there. He loves it. They love it. I, I'd be surprised if they don't find a way to, to get that done, even though negotiations have been a slog. Like they, they talked during the season. They've been talking since the year ended. And they haven't been able to get there just yet, but I, I think it ultimately gets done. And then Johnny Goodrow, it's a tough one to read. I think he's genuinely conflicted. Um, you know, he had, coming off his best season in Calgary individually as a team, uh, they had a great year, scores the overtime winner in game one or game seven of round one. But he had 115 points. Like, talk about a once in a lifetime opportunity to take that to the market. I think he tests the market, but I'm not sure if he ends up leaving or not. So I know the flames would like a answer sooner rather than later. They got decisions to make on Matthew Canuck, Kachuk, Andrew Majin Oliver Shillington. You know, they have other guys to sign and potentially to some big contracts, but I, I think that Goudreau will at least take a peek at the market. And then I'm, I'm not sure how that's going to play out once he does. I'm not sure what he'll find there. And if he'll see enough to want to leave. Uh, last guy, uh, John Klingberg. John Klingberg. Oh, I think he's going. Uh, he's open to staying, though. Like, even though there was, you know, a public trade request um, during the season, I think there was, that was some frustration that built up because negotiations were slow. They didn't produce anything. You know, he's been he's been a plus value player. Like, credit the Stars. Go way back when. He played, like, 65 career games, and they signed him to a seven-year deal. Uh, we haven't seen many like that before or since. So pretty, pretty risky, and just because he hasn't proven it, but they got great value. He signed for four and a half million. You can understand why he took that contract. He didn't know what his career would be at that point. And he got, you know, he got 28, 30 million, whatever of, of secured money to, to do it. But as a result, he's been underpaid throughout his career. 
I think ultimately he's going to have to go to the open market to, to make up some of those, those lost earnings, if you want to call it, or to get paid more of his market value. You can go to uh, North Star Bets online uh, to find CJ's latest, or if uh, you've seen in the Toronto Star already, you can check that out there. Uh, seven star pending NHL UFAs with uncertain futures. CJ, well done on that segment. And uh, before we go, uh, are, you still, are you still good with your Draymond Green stick tap, or did you have someone else in mind? Yeah, I'm sticking tapping Draymond Green, man. Like I, I got a lot of I got a lot of respect for his pod game, and uh, you know, I just I want to show him support. I want to be one media member showing him support because it seems like everyone's coming <laughs> the NBA Finals is on his back. Come on, guys, find another storyline. Yeah. Find another yeah. storyline. This is this is this is as contrived as it comes. I'm hoping Adam Wild finds a way to poach him from whatever network that he's on right now. I would love Draymond Green as a teammate on the SDPN. That would be awesome. Imagine he like came and did like an appearance on the CJ show. I would love that. That'd be cool. We just let him just let him talk X's and O's, you know, don't provide too many secrets, of course. Right. We can get his take on the sharks or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, whatever he would like, or, or he's a Michigan guy. So maybe the Red Wings. Yeah, okay. right. All right. So mine is actually going to go to Leon Dreisaitl because I think the performance that he put on the playoffs while battling through injury one of the more remarkable playoff performances I've seen in recent memory. I think it was game it was game four with the, with the way that game was going. Like one shot I remember vividly from game four, one goal going in and, and, and dry sidle on the bench trying to celebrate. And then he just immediately hunches over in pain. This is a guy who battled through a high ankle sprain in the playoffs and still put on an incredible all-world performance throughout the pretty much throughout every round he played in this year's Stanley Cup playoffs. He deserves a stick tap. And Leon Dreisaitl putting everyone on notice. Look, that's all right, we get it. Connor McDavid's the best in the world. But two through five, you have to really think about who's in that spot. And you can make an argument that Leon Dreisaitl is number two, number three, number four, and he's no lower than five as of right now. And be sure to argue down here in the comments because we'd love to see what you got to say. Absolutely. All the engagements here, subscribe to the SDPN YouTube page, subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have questions for CJ, uh, tweet them at him at a reporter at reporter Chris with the hashtag ask CJ. We will get to them on the Monday edition of the CJ show. But in the meantime, it's time for us to enjoy the weekend. CJ, always a pleasure doing these shows with you, brother. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Get some rest up. And uh, we'll be back on Monday with a brand new episode. For Siege, I'm Julian. So long and peace. Three coffee show for me today. I'm drinking for you and Nick. Three coffees? Oh, geez, man. I'm surprised you're not jumping up and down. I'm ready to go. All right. Well, (laughs) this podcast is over. Unless you want to do another second one. (laughs) See you Monday. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's sportsbook. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at Reporter Chris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.